are our weekly announcements. The missionary ministry for the month of August will be doing a school supply drive at the food distribution in August on August the 21st from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. but also on August the 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. for Thursday for Zion members. If you would like to donate any supplies the drop off is on Saturdays or during the week. Also, save the date in your calendar for our virtual quarterly church meeting on Saturday, July the 31st at 10 a.m. To RSVP, make sure that you email the admin office at admin at glzbc.org. We also will be having prayer meeting on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and our virtual adult Bible study Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. On the weekends, we also have our Sunday school sessions. Our youth and young adult Sunday school are Saturdays at 10 a.m. and our adult Sunday school is every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Well, we thank you for joining us this Sunday and we pray that you have a blessed rest of your day. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. All of them. What a privilege, what a privilege. it is to carry everything, everything yes, sir. to God in prayer. Oh, yeah. Do we have a friend so faithful yes, sir. Yes, sir. who will all our sorrows share? Come on, wait a minute. We should never be discouraged. Never. Jesus is always there. Always, always. So if you're looking for a friend, a friend that'll stand by you to the bitter end. Yes, he will. A friend that'll never leave you nor forsake you. No, he won't. A friend that'll be a mother to the motherless. Amen. Come on with it. Amen. A father to the fatherless. Yes, he will. A friend that'll bring some sunshine into a rainy day. Yeah. You ought to call on Jesus. Call you don't have to look too far, y'all. He's right there waiting on you. He's waiting with open arms. Waiting. All you got to do is call on. Call on. So we just stopped by this morning to try to encourage you. If you're looking for someone to stand by your side, you ought to try Jesus. Fellas, we're gonna try to sing this song. We're gonna do the best we can. We talk about Jesus. Jesus. Do you know the man? Here is Jesus. Yeah. 
you know the man? I know him. Do you know the man? Do you know the man? Yes, I know Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. You ought to try. on the moment's bench.
Well, welcome, my brothers and sisters. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Get your Bibles, please, and join me in the book of Genesis chapter 41. The book of Genesis chapter 41, and we are going to read verses 53 all the way into chapter 42, verse 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 41, beginning at verse 53 and concluding in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 2. Here is what it says. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Chapter 42, verse 1. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at each other? He said to them, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Today I want to talk about when adversity unveils your anointing. When adversity unveils your anointing. Well, we gained quite a bit from the journey of Joseph thus far, but we at least know that there are some very valuable principles that Joseph left us, particularly as he named his two sons Manasseh and Ephraim. You recall that Manasseh means God has made me forget all my troubles and all of my father's household. Ephraim means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It could be safe to say that Joseph had indeed forgotten all of his trials and his concentration is now on the fruit that God has brought to him in this land of his afflictions. But that raises a couple of questions for us to consider when we look at how adversity and affliction affects our own life. We might want to wrestle with the question of whether or not this is the taste of the favor that we find in Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good. Is that really what it means that God helps us forget what happened to us in the past in terms of victimization, and then likewise that God has an amazing way of blessing us right in the context of our affliction? Does that mean that the sufferings that we encounter are purposely permitted 
so that they conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Must we then grasp what Paul is trying to convey to us in the Philippian letter, particularly in chapter 2, where he argues how he wants to know God in the fullness through Jesus of who he is. Chapter 3, he wants to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Can we ignore the language that we find trumpeted by the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 71, which sounds quite odd. But again, we are sort of forced to wrestle with the truth of these words as we consider what Joseph has gone through and how Joseph has named his two sons. Manasseh, God has helped me to forget what has happened to me in the past. And God has permitted me and then helped me to forget what happened in my father's house and his household. And then Ephraim, God has blessed me, made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Are we at the point where we can grasp those words again of Psalm 119, verse 71? It is good for me that I was afflicted Listen to that. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn God's statutes, God's word, God's principles. We can at least from that verse sort of conclude that no matter what the affliction, don't waste your painful moments and please permit God to use it for his glory so that in return you will be victorious because of his glory. We can further at least gather from Joseph that certainly we travel, as I had alluded to in earlier sermons, through these seasons of life whereby adversity has an amazing way of unveiling the anointing that exists in our life that presence of God that's on the inside of us. We may not identify the Spirit of God as in the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament, but you can hear it conveyed through the language of various episodes when we look at the Old Testament text. For example, as Abraham climbs Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, when you hear his son Isaac says, Father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb? And then Abraham responds by contending, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That came out of some place on the inside of Abraham. I want to contend that's God's presence on the inside of Abraham's life. How about in Genesis 32, where we find Jacob who wrestles with the angel all night long and the angel attempts to depart and Jacob declares, I will not let you go until you bless me. What caused Jacob to hold on to the essence of that angel and declare, you're not going anywhere until I receive a divine inspiration for what God is saying to you. I want to contend that's because on the inside of Jacob 
there is the presence of God at work. Even if you look at the New Testament, you can hear Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestles over the contention in his physical and spiritual being. You can hear that physical person cry out, let this cup pass before me. But the spirit man arises and says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Matthew 26. We see it. We witness it in the life of Joseph. How multiple adverse conditions had an amazing way of unveiling God's presence. We call it anointing. That just simply means God's touch in the life of Joseph to show courage that Joseph gained in the presence, in the face of various forms of distress and even evil. The Old Testament uses four Hebrew words that has its root in the same word, but all of them have to do with the issue of adversity. Because the word adversity in the Hebrew simply means a halting or fall, which means that something has caused progress to be stopped. Or whatever you are elevating, it has caused that elevation, whatever it is now, to drop. It means distress or affliction. We might sense that in the spirit and the voice of Joseph as he's wrestling by being in prison and hasn't heard a word from the baker to whom he has helped. And he has to wait two years. And listen to the intensity in his voice when he tells the baker, this is the interpretive of your dream. But when you go before Pharaoh, don't forget me. Mention me. Say my name that I might get out of this place. There's a tension in Joseph's voice because of distress as well as affliction. Adversity also means evil. It means harmfulness. It means that evil has engaged and perpetrated the harmfulness that exists in your life. Remember, Joseph only ended up in prison because of Mrs. Potiphar. So there was the working of evil at work and it cost Joseph a tremendous amount of time. But for Joseph, it appears also that it didn't matter. It didn't matter that if it was the pit or the prison, it didn't matter. Joseph kept permitting his power, his anointing, his presence, the hand of God on the inside of him to help him not waste his adversity because what that adversity did was provided strength for each challenge that Joseph had to encounter. Look at how God rewarded the endurance of Joseph in the midst of the adversity. Again, Manasseh made him forget all his troubles, including that from his father's house. Again, his son, the name Ephraim, made him fruitful in the land of affliction. All of that came from adversity which unveiled, again, God's touch, God's hand, God's anointing in the life of Joseph. So what is anointing? 
I alluded to it briefly by way of definition earlier, but here's a simplified manner in which to understand what anointing is. Couple of definitions. Number one, the anointing is the power of God to conquer any enemy that, emer that emerges or engages in your life. Now, just so you know for certain, even Jesus had the anointing. Remember what he says in Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That phrase, upon me, could very easily be translated, is in me. The Spirit of God has touched me. The Spirit of God has anointed me. Read Luke's writing in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and listen to what Luke says. He says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power to do good, to heal the oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here's translation. When you are met with adversity, adversity should be able to unveil the power within you to persevere, to overcome, to even match the intensity of the adversity because the anointing is far stronger. So once again, God's anointing simply means that's God's power that's going to conquer any evil, any adversity, any trial, any tribulation that comes in your life or that attempts to engage, it will be defeated because the anointing on the inside of you is alive and well. That person, third person of the Trinity, has the power to make you victorious. I want you to also remember this secondly about the anointing. You always possess something that God desires to anoint. You always possess something that God desires to anoint. How do you know that? Well, remember, Moses had a rod, a staff, and God anointed it. David had a slingshot to defeat the giant. And God anointed him. When what you have in your hand, in your being, God permits you to utilize it because surrender increases your dependency on God. So when Moses surrendered the staff to God, God turned it into a serpent and then reversed it back to the staff. Many to show Moses that what you have in your hand can be also used victoriously. For when they come to the Red Sea, what does God instruct Moses to do? Stretch out your hand. What's in your hand? It's a rod, and as he stretches it, God intervenes to open up the sea. Same thing he said with the slingshot. When David comes to address the giant, it's Saul who earlier recommends that you put on his garment. And David says, I've never worked with your garment before. 
I don't know anything about how your garment operates, but I do know how God works with my weaponry, a slingshot. And what happens? God anoints it. One shot was all it took to bring the giant down to his knees. Whatever you have in you, in your hand, God wants to anoint it that it might be used for you to walk in victory and to help others experience victory as well. Here's the third thing. The anointing you respect is the anointing that will grow in your life. I want you to highlight what I said, but I want you to highlight the word respect. The anointing that you respect is the anointing that will grow in your life. See, Joshua gets promoted because he respects the wisdom of Moses. As a result of that, he becomes the leader after Moses transitions into the heavens. When you respect an anointing for wisdom, watch how ideas and favor will flow into your life like an untapped reservoir. It's because those who pour into your life, those who feed you the word of God, that which you read, that author is pouring into your presence, that which you witness, hopefully that person, whether it be by a television screen or by audio or video, they're trying to pour forth, I hope, the word of God in respecting. I didn't say you have to agree, but to respect what that anointing is attempting to convey, because that person is doing what they believe God has told them to do, particularly within the five confinements of the word of God. Respect it and it will grow in your life because that's how God works. How do I know that? Well, when we read the Genesis story here, in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh and all of his cabinet respects the anointing of Joseph Watch this, not only to interpret dreams, but also they respected his plan of action to address the issue of both abundance and famine. The record says to us in verse 53 and 54, but the key phrase is in verse 54, clause A, where it simply says, not only did the seven years of famine begin to come, but here's the next phrase, just as Joseph had said. So now both Pharaoh and those who are in the cabinet, and I'm convinced Potiphar was a part of the cabinet, they now respect the anointing that's on Joseph's life because Joseph also has the anointing of wisdom because if you look at the last line of verse 54, it tells us something very clear. Listen to what it says. Translation. I'm going to throw Murphy's translation in there. Famine, says verse 54, is in all the lands. That's what it says. People in the famine, translation, in the pandemic, in the change, of a social, of an economical, 
of a health culture has changed. Nothing is growing. But look what the Bible says. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. If nobody else in Egypt respected Joseph's anointing, Pharaoh did. So much so that he makes him second in command. He trusts Joseph's plan to go forth. And as a result, look at what happens. There's plenty in the land of Egypt during the pandemic, during the famine, during the time of struggle. That's because the anointing you respect is the anointing that will grow in your life. Pharaoh doesn't go without it. Pharaoh's family doesn't go without it. Eventually, none of Egypt goes without it because Pharaoh respects the anointing on the life of Joseph. Watch the respect for Joseph's anointing of wisdom, says verse 55. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, now the famine has stretched all over the whole land, Listen to what Pharaoh says. Talk about respect of the anointing and respect of the anointing of wisdom. Look at what Pharaoh says. When the famine hit the land, he says, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Translation, that was tough, or should have been tough for Pharaoh, considering that in Egypt he was a god. But Pharaoh had to relinquish his underrated godness to someone who knew a God greater because look what he says. They came to him for bread and Pharaoh says, I can't help you, but go to Joseph and whatever Joseph tells you to do, that's what you need to do. Here's an exegetical point I want you to notice. Notice Pharaoh didn't refer to Joseph in his Egyptian name. He calls him by his Hebrew name. Now remember earlier, he purposely changed his Hebrew name. Uh, we're not told why, but I don't know because he didn't like the history, he didn't like where Joseph came from, and yet he refers to Joseph now again in his Hebrew name. Why? I want to say divine intervention. In the Hebrew, it's not Joseph as we do in the English, it's Yusuf. Yusuf means savior. It means he adds or he will add. It means to increase. And what is God saying? God added to Joseph, gave Joseph increase. Remember what he said? I named my son Ephraim because in my land of affliction, God has made me fruitful. He blew up Joseph's life, and look what Joseph now is doing. He's blowing up the lives of those in Egypt because he followed through on the plan that God gave him to bless the people in abundance so that the rainy day when it comes, God would be there working through Joseph to meet their need. What is God saying to us in this text so far? It's important that we understand when we respect the anointing of people that blesses our life with the word of God, don't just be a hero of the word, but be a doer. Now certainly when Pharaoh told many of the Egyptians, go to Joseph, 
and do what he tells you, there were some who probably were reluctant. But I will guarantee you one or two things happened. Their reluctancy caused them not to go to get bread, which meant that in the midst of a pandemic slash famine, they died. Or they went to someone else to try to grab from them what they had so that they could, so that they could survive. And if they're anything like typical people, they told them, I have just enough to make it for us. You got to go and get your own. What am I saying? Adversity has a way when it unveils our anointing to also create generosity. See, that's what verse 56 and 57 says. That when the famine spread all over the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine was severe. Now, it's sort of interesting what happens here uh, because if you think about it, uh, now Joseph's brothers, he's not thinking of in the moment, they are absent from the discourse, but they are going to discover a familiar saying unto us in a contemporary context. They're going to understand that if you orchestrate adversity, if you perpetrate adversity, then what goes around comes around. See, they had no idea that a famine was going to come. They had no idea that they would need to somehow find bread other than in their own land. They are in Canaan. The famine will hit all. Go back and read verse 57, 56 and 57, that the people of all the earth recognize that we don't have any bread, we don't have any grain, we got to go to Egypt. And the Bible says because the famine was severe in all the earth. And that's because you got to be careful how you treat people and you got to be careful how you participate in your moment of abundance. Because when you perpetrate adversity, and when you help execute adversity, when you help create trouble and darkness, what goes around is going to come around and you don't realize it until it's too late. Now we can also contend that Joseph was a kind of capitalist because the Bible says here uh, in verse 56 that he sold, when he opened the storehouse, he sold. And so you know, we can contend that Joseph is a capitalist because he knows that you've got to sell you got to sell when there's a famine because that's the time to get rich. Capitalism, when things happen, stock market fall, when there's a pandemic, things get scarce. Stock market, you buy up stocks while they're low. Stock market's going to crash so you buy them because you know once the pandemic or the famine is over, it's going to rise and make you a very wealthy person. I'm not saying that Joseph did this to become wealthy, but I think it's interesting, and I don't think the word capitalism would have been used in Joseph's context, but however, you have to look at the applied principle that you and I could use, because that's what we experience now. I mean, you think about it, before the pandemic, you could buy a mask for 99 cents. And now, 
I've seen them high as $15, $20, $25, depending on what kind of match you want, $50, $100. Isn't that amazing how the pandemic, the lack of the context birthed the need to have the same in the family in Egypt. And Joseph became that. But we're at the end now. And Joseph's brothers were unaware that as they created a famine in the life of Joseph earlier. Remember, before they put him in the pit, they stripped him of his coat of many colors. They stripped him of his dignity. They stripped him of his favor with his father. Remember that. They actually put him in a space of famine where he has nothing and throws him in a pit to illustrate that he's disposable. He's nothing. Oh, they didn't know, and they don't know what's ahead. They had no idea that the very famine that they created, now there's a famine that has been created in their own life by way of Egypt and Canaan. When Joseph feels the grip, um, I'm sorry, not just, when Jacob feels Chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob feels the grip of the famine, he expresses a bit of anger and frustration to his sons for failing to see the problem. Look at the text closely, and the text reminds us that because you're not exempt from problems, that certainly doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue solutions. So the Bible says that Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Our question is, how did he know that there was grain in Egypt? Did he get word? How? Could have been a neighbor. But Jacob said to his son, why are you standing there looking at one another? Now here are the lessons that Jacob is trying to tell us. Because it's a power that's amazing. Jacob says to us when we read this, look what he says, why are you staring at one another? Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us from that place so that we will live and not die. Here's what Jacob suggests. Number one, a spiritual person is also a sensible person. Yeah, see, remember in 2 Kings chapter 7, where the four lepers sit outside the gate wondering, what shall we do? We know we're going to die if we stay here, but if we go in the city, we very well could be killed and we'll still die, or we could go there and be received. And so they said among themselves, why sit we here and die? Let's just Launch out into the deep and see what happens. Because I think Jacob wanted to know why were the sons looking at each other because in the famine, this is now a time for action. See, the famine is caused by insufficient rain it's caused by plagues of locusts sometimes. It's caused by mildew in the land. 
And it can strip you of everything if you aren't confident, if you aren't creative, and if you aren't committed. See, look at the parallel that we can draw. The famine for us doesn't necessarily mean that the land is absent from producing, but our life could be in a state of being non-productive. And then there are those who want the Spirit to help us ask the question, why are you just sitting around crying or complaining or moaning or merely hoping? You got to put a plan into action and go change your situation. Listen to Jacob. Closely in the family pandemic of your journey. Listen to what he says to us. Why are you merely looking at each other? If your life, if your church, if your ministry has or is experiencing a famine, why are y'all just sitting there looking at each other, going through the same motion week in and week out? Even the famine itself is asking, now that your convenience and your comfortable space has been compromised, what you going to do about it? And that's the question I pose to you because your adversity should be unveiling your anointing in this adverse moment where you know that you need to move forward. I can tell you what your anointing is trying to say in this adversity. Here it is. Excuses are crutches for the uncommitted. Excuses are crutches for the uncommitted. I, I, I would go to Egypt, but I'm, it's a long way. I would go to Egypt, but I need somebody to go with me. I would go to Egypt, but I don't have any money. I would go to Egypt, but I'm afraid of what I might encounter on the way. Those are all excuses because when you're hungry enough, when your life has dropped to a place of famine so deeply, you'll find a way to get beyond all those excuses and make it happen. So instead of excuses, break free. Tell yourself, I'm not going to let this keep me. In fact, eliminate the ties that keep you bound, whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, whether it's mere situations, get rid of it. Eliminate it. Clear your mind of everything that restricts your growth. Everything. And stop telling yourself, this is all I can handle. Who said that? Because that's not a true statement that the Lord will put in the morning that you can bear. That's not true. That's something we made up. You can't find Bible for that at all. Because I've had more than I can bear, and I think you have too. That's the reason why we can't tell ourselves, this is all I can handle. No, it's not. We've had moments where we've had to handle more. But keep this in mind as well. If you will increase the size of your container, who you are, the Lord will cause your roots to expand. So we're back to Psalm 1. Because when your roots 
are deeply embedded by the rivers, by the waters. You get the sustenance and the space to expand. Sometimes we're too narrow-minded, we're too restricted, and there are self-imposed restrictions. When God is trying to grow us and multiply us and expand us, and in the words of Jabez, enlarge our territory. God grows according to the size of the vessel. You want to stay small? He'll let you stay small. You want to grow big? He'll let you grow big. But it's all up to you. You don't have to remain where you are in the famine of your life. Here's something else I think is a lesson the text trying to teach us. You need to reach the point where you decide I'm not going to allow anything to short circuit my life and rob me of my destiny. Not going to allow it. Joseph didn't. In fact, Joseph decided that and now Jacob is trying to infuse in the life of his sons don't let this thing short circuit us. Look at what he says in the last line. I need you to go to Egypt so that we can buy grain so that we will live and not die. I need for you to exercise faith. I need you to put a plan in action. I need you to be persevering. I need you to work hard at it so that you don't die in the famine, but that you live. You do what you have to do and you get to where you need to get to purchase what you need that you might live. And then there's a third thing. If you only dwell on what already exists, you will miss what God wants to bring into your reality. Listen to that. If you only dwell on what already exists, you will miss what God wants to bring into your reality. It could be said that both Joseph and Jacob are suggesting regardless of what you are struggling with, here are two vital steps you can take when adversity unveils your anointing. Number one, decide how you will overcome the problem. Listen to that. Decide how you're going to overcome. Go back to the four lepers in 2 Kings 7. What shall we do if we sit here? We know we're going to die. But if we go into town, we might die. But we also might find food. Let's put our plan into action and go into town, persevere forward. Or we shout with the words of Esther, if I perish, let me perish, but I'm going to see the king. You got to decide that you're going to overcome the problem. I would contend that many of our problems are pretty much already defeated, but it has not yet registered in our mind. That's why the devil fights so hard to distort our minds, because if I can think, if I can believe, if I can put into my mental capacity what I can reach, man, the sky's the limit. I can do so much. But secondly, write a goal, write a goal plan and achieve it. And Joseph did just that. Verse 54 and chapter 41 says, particularly clause C, there was bread in all 
all of Egypt during the famine because Joseph had a plan. He made it work. And Jacob chimed in on verse 2 and says, the only plan we got right now in the famine in Canaan is to go to Egypt. Let's go. Get yourself down there and buy us some grain so we will live and not die. I close with this. Adversity can birth several conditions. Adversity can birth in you the need, or I shouldn't say the need, it can birth in you the posture to break down. And by break down, I mean you lose all cognizance of hope, of faith, of vision, of wisdom, and you let the adversity determine your conclusion. You can do that. Now we've left Joseph, and we're now at Jacob's sons. Now they have to make a decision. We can sit here and not go to Egypt, but they're going to die. You can stay right where you are in your famine space, but you're going to die. You may not die physically, but there are some things that are going to die within you and around you. You can break down. That's what adversity will do to you. Or you can break out. See, you can take the steps to break out from that which holds you or attempting to hinder you. I go back to my story of Esther. See, Esther knew even though she's the queen, no one approached the king without the king stretching forth his sepulcher to invite you. But Esther doesn't wait for that. Why? Because the moment is too critical. The moment among her people was too life-bearing. She had to do something to stop the genocide planned by Haman. In her words, if I perish, let me perish. I'm going to break out of this thing because I'm going to see the king. That's the attitude that your anointing should say to your adversity. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Break out. Just take your Bible and start reading passages of freedom and break out of that thing. Don't let Whatever the limits are, don't let it hold you. So that you can finally break through. See that? Break down, break out, break through. Breakthrough gets me on the other side of through. I fought a good fight. I came to do battle. I've adopted the mindset that even though the battle is rough, nevertheless. Put that conjunction in my life. Nevertheless, I got a mindset to allow my anointing to bring me through to my destiny. Your adversity should unveil the anointing on the inside. That's what we get out of Joseph. And that's what's being etched to us in this story as the brothers are now being incorporated into the final phase of Joseph's journey as Prime Minister of Egypt. And I want you to remember that this is what God wants to do to you. Break you through. 
not let you break down in the midst of the challenge. Father, thank you for our time in which you've given us in the word, and we pray now in Jesus' name that someone today has caught a glimpse of deliverance, and as they leave this moment, their life will never be the same. It will be challenged to become victorious because no matter the adversity, the anointing on their life, the presence of the Holy Spirit within them is alive, he is well, and he will fight the battles with them. Thank you for letting us know that greater is he that lives on the inside of us than he that has no one and yet lives alone outside of the Save that soul that calls for your name today, Lord. We'll forever give you the glory, give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always our joy and our anticipation that someone hearing this word today will make a decision for Jesus Christ if you've never met him before. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, And thou confess of thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation is simple, nothing complicated about it. It's a mere fact in believing of what Christ has done for me, done for you, in the shedding of his life on the cross that makes our engaging of eternal life a reality. There may be those of you who are already believers, but yet, as I said, you have been struggling in the midst of your family. Let this word bless you. And I pray that you will read, listen to it, and permit it to help you open doors so that the anointing can forge you forward in the name of Jesus. Well, my time is gone, but certainly I have been blessed to be a part of you, be with you, and we encourage you and thank you for those who lend us your support, continue to do so. That enables us to be able to come to you every week. We always pray that God will continue to bless you, expand your life, and allow you to see the victory to which has been planned for you. Always remember, God loves you, and so do I. In Jesus' name, amen.